You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. I wonder how many of you really well remember your preschool days. Do you have good, clear recollections of preschool? I, I have very vague recollections. In my mind, I have this picture of sort of a dark room, even when the curtains were open and the lights were on. And I remember they had nap time. I don't, I don't know, I just didn't like nap time. Wasn't very fun, you know. But they had these carpets, you know, you rolled them out and you laid on your nap time carpet and they draw the curtains and I don't know, I, I think maybe they played some soft music, I don't remember exactly. But I do remember uh, snack time, that was fun. And uh, we got graham crackers and milk. And that was wonderful. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And then one day they brought wedge slices. And I was all excited until they gave me one and I went, that doesn't taste like the wedge slices my mom has at home. You know, the candy kind that was filled with sugar and those wedge slices, that's what she always had. And so that's what I was expecting the wedge slices at preschool to be. That wasn't what it was. But I ask you those questions because I want to ask you this one. Are you still in the nursery school of faith? Think about that for a second. Or maybe you have progressed into grade school. You've gotten past kindergarten. But would you really call that advanced? Would you say that you're growing? Now listen, if you're a brand new Christian, you've just been saved in the last year or two or, or so, that's great. If you're growing and you're moving past the kindergarten stage, you're really doing well and the Lord is blessing you. But I wonder if you've gotten past that. Robert Fulgham wrote a book called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And while that's a fun title, it's really not true, is it? But it was a good book. I remember reading it. My mom gave it to me and uh, my whole family read it except for my dad. But uh, it was full of fun little lessons like this. Share everything and play fair. That's a good lesson, isn't it? Doesn't matter whether you're three years old, 33, or 103. Uh, it's don't hit people. That's always a good idea. Don't hit people. Uh, put things back where you found them. We were talking about that in our deacons meeting. If you lost your keys, just put them always in the same place. Anyway, put them back where you found them. Those are all good, interesting lessons. But what if after kindergarten, you stopped growing? Do you learn as you grow in your physical body? Have you been growing in your mental body? Yeah, hopefully. If you stopped, that would be very strange, wouldn't it? We'd start taking children to doctors when that happens. But too many of us spiritually have been a Christian for a long period of time, but we don't seem to have grown past that infancy, that preschool phase of Christianity. So you've heard that quote, do you have 20 years experience or do you have one year of experience repeated 20 times? It's a huge problem in the church today. A lack of discipleship. People are not growing in their faith. Let me ask you some questions. See if you think that you are growing in your faith. One is, are you able to lead in a worship experience? I'm not talking necessarily about the musical portion 
But are you willing to get up and able to get up in a pinch, in an emergency, and lead a group of people, whether it's three people or 300 people, and lead them through worship to honor Jesus Christ? Can you teach other people the word of God? Can you do that? Can you teach other people what the Bible means? Are you able to explain salvation in a way that a lost person can understand it? And are you able to tell someone how to pray? Maybe to show them how to pray. Are you able to show people the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, uh, the way to live your life in a way that honors God and benefits other people? Now listen, if you can't say yes to any of these things, then you have room to grow in your faith. And it's time to kick it into gear and actually start growing in your faith. We're going to talk about that this week and uh, maybe for the next week or two in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It introduces this idea of people who are not growing in the faith. In fact, in verse 5, uh, one of the verses, he even calls you lazy. And I think that's appropriate for many of us as we live the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 in the Christian Standard Bible. It begins this way. We have heard a great deal, or we have a great deal to say about this. The this, meaning the stuff that has come before this. It could be this as in talking about Christ and his priesthood. It could be talking about everything that he's dealt with from chapter one, verse one, all the way up to now. But the point is, he's saying that all of these deep theological thoughts that we've been presenting to you, he's saying, I've got a lot to say about it. And he says, and it's difficult to explain. Now why? Since you have become too lazy to understand. Now, that's not very complimentary, but sadly it's very true for many people. He says you're lazy. The word there means sluggish. When do you get sluggish? Maybe first thing in the morning when you're first waking up. Uh, if you're like me, you're laying down and you decide, oh, I've got to get myself up out of this bed. And uh, it's like having Rice Krispies in bed. Snap, crackle, and pop as you try to move yourself up. So many of us have to deal with that. Or maybe it's after a big meal. Boy, you sure have stuffed yourself more than you should have. And uh, you reach down and loosen the belt, guys, and, and uh, you just want to go lay down somewhere because you're feeling sluggish, you're feeling lazy. Sometimes I say I have to get up in stages, you know. I'll move this one leg off the bed, and then I'll sort of turn and move the other one off, and then I'll hoist to get my back up, and that's the first, start, you know, it sounds like I'm a, I don't know, mechanical bot or something as my uh, back starts cracking and you know what I'm talking about. But spiritually speaking, that's not a good thing. If we are spiritually lazy, it means we're not ready in order to uh, uh, serve the Lord. We're not ready to, to do the work of the Lord. And we can't even learn about the Lord because he says, I'd like to explain a lot more to you, but it's too hard because you're not ready. You're sluggish in the faith. You're too lazy to understand. Would you say that if you were honest, you had to describe your faith and your education 
in the deeper things of Christ that way? Would you say that you're lazy and sluggish? And we're going to look in this passage and we're going to see some examples of what it means to be immature believers. It means, are you living in grade school instead of graduate school? Are you living in spiritual infancy instead of growing stronger, more knowledgeable, more committed, more willing to serve? Verse 12, as we continue in our passage, it says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he, or we could say she, is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You see those examples of immaturity there? Too many believers today, even after having followed Christ or, or trusted Christ as their Savior many years ago, are still in this stage of spiritual infancy. Maybe you've grown a little bit, but not like you should if you've been a believer as long as we have. You know, I talk about how long I had to go to school to get my degrees, and not everybody has to go as long as I did. I felt it was God's will. Maybe I was just too dumb and I needed more schooling in order to figure it all out. But if you're a Christian and you've been saved for 20 years, and you're not growing to the point where you're able to help others find Christ, grow in Christ, and to become mature themselves, then you're one of those spiritually immature. You see, here's the truth. Mature believers can handle solid food of the faith. They can handle the solid food of the faith. The author of Hebrews refers to solid food versus milk repeatedly in this passage. In verse 12, he says, you need milk, not solid food. Uh, in verse 13, he says, too many of us are living on milk. Now, I don't believe that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but I don't believe it's Paul, but he seems to borrow from Paul when in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, Paul said this, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as babies in Christ, Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you still aren't ready. Are you ready for the solid food of the faith? Are you ready to grow beyond the very basic elementary principles of Jesus Christ? You know, there's a crisis going on in our economy right now. Uh, you know, we're thankfully in our lives very far past the days of needing formula. But have you heard about and seen the news that it's really hard to get formula for babies? Uh, they're struggling to find it and they're having to find creative ways to get it. I've heard some different things. People are having exchanges and you know, people are trying to order it from outside the country and things like that. Um, solution may be mother's milk. You know, that's one possibility, but even that can be difficult. But not everybody can follow that. That may not be the best way for every person. When our boys were young, you know, Barb fed them with mother's milk, and then we started to move into a formula, and, uh, you know, I can remember what a pain that was. I just, it was so annoying to have to mix the milk and 
figure it out, get it all just right, you know, and, and then we gave it to him, and Michael, I don't know, it just didn't sit well with him, and he was spitting up everything. I mean, we had, in our, our little parsonage in our first church, uh, we had a little carpet there, and I mean, he spit all over that thing. We just threw it away eventually, because it was in such bad shape, and couldn't get it clean. And uh, everything, every single piece of food, or every single piece of clothing, rather, that we had was stained in that stuff. Michael's, you know what, throw up, stuff like that. And it wasn't a lot of fun. So it felt so good when we finally graduated him out of formula and into regular drinks like milk and juice. It was a slow process, but we were so thankful when that happened. And then again with Daniel when we were able to transition out of that. The problem is Paul is saying too many believers aren't making the transition. They're still on that infancy stage of milk instead of meat. And folks, this is not just an economic crisis in our country about formula. It's a spiritual crisis about immaturity in the faith. What is milk and what is solid food of the faith? For example, if you're a new believer, you've learned the idea of salvation. What does it mean? Well enough to accept Jesus Christ. You've learned something like maybe someone told you how to become a Christian through the Roman road. You know the Roman road. I won't go through the whole thing, but Romans 3.23, where all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then you go to 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then 5.8, you know, it talks about God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 10.9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now I can go through that with you and it might take me five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, depending on how long we have. But I hope you have at least that basic understanding of the faith. Now, maybe for you, you would say, I don't know if I've learned all those verses, but I know John 3.16, and I can use John 3.16 and my testimony. That's good. That is the basic level. You've gone from preschool to kindergarten, if you can do that. You're starting to get into elementary school, first grade, if you can tell someone else how to get saved using a tool like that. But let me ask you this question. What if you meet somebody and you start witnessing to them and they don't believe the Bible is trustworthy? It's gonna take a little bit more than just the Roman road or your testimony in John 3.16 or maybe the ABCs, admit, believe, and confess. You might need to go a little more advanced. And as Christians, it's our responsibility to learn how to do that because every person here was commissioned to go and make disciples, even of the tough cases, the ones who don't believe that the Bible is worth listening to. In fact, some of them are hostile towards it. So I don't know what I'd do then. I guess I just would you know, try to take them to somebody else who's more mature in their faith. But that person knows you. You are the better witness than some other person like your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or a deacon or giving them a book to read from some author they've never heard of. Those all can be useful tools if that's all you got. If that's the way you need to share your faith, at least do that much. But don't fool yourself. You are still in the spiritual childhood and you have not grown past it. And so we need to learn how to move from mother's milk to meat, solid food. A good example of that 
is the author of Hebrews. You know, he says he's concerned about their ability to adequately defend the faith. In fact, I wonder if he thought of it like a baby boxing a bantamweight. <laughs> you know, a little, little baby against a heavyweight fighter. If you're not prepared and if you're not working on growing yourself in the faith, you might find yourself outmatched against some people who have thought a lot more about this. Wouldn't it be sad if an atheist thought more about salvation in the Christian faith than a believer? Sadly, a lot of them have because they want to defeat you. They want to turn you away from Christ. There are an awful lot of very evangelistic atheists who seem to think that you're in danger of ruining your life. I don't understand why an atheist would ever be evangelistic. After all, if there's no God, who cares whether we believe in him or not? But they are. They're very vocal because they think Christianity is dangerous. Satan has convinced them and they've turned things upside down. And we need to win them just as much as we need to win our children and our family members. And people who say they believe, but they don't live it, and they don't act like it. Mature believers should stop living on milk and start living on solid food. And you know what else? Mature believers should be able to teach others doctrine. You hear the word doctrine. What does that mean? Well, it's not going to the hospital and getting some doctrine. <laughs> No, doctrine is teaching. A simple dictionary definition is a belief or a set of beliefs held by or taught by a Christian church or a political party or some other group with an ideology. You understand what he's saying there? It's the ideas, the thoughts. And this is what the church has said is the advanced stuff. And this author right here in Hebrews saying, no, this is the stuff you just naturally grow into if you are living a life in the word of God. You just begin to understand it and get to a point where it's a natural part of your conversations. It's a natural part of your thinking and you're willing and able to tell other people about it. The church is too often uh, confused by this attitude that doctrine is bad. Too many times I've heard Christians say, you know, uh, that education, that's not good for you. You go down there and get that education and it can mess you up. Well, yeah, bad education can. If you go to a liberal college like mine, that could mess you up. It just pretty nearly destroyed my faith. But if you get good education from one of our good Southern Baptist seminaries like we prayed for earlier, or, or like a, a, another really good one is Fruitland, just up the road in Hendersonville. Those are good schools that teach good doctrine. And if you learn that and you invest your time in the word of God, then you can do a lot better. Not, not everybody can go to seminary or a Bible college, but you can spend the time. We now as a church have more resources to learn the word of God than we've ever had in the history of the church. It's all right there available to us for the taking, most of it even free online. Now you gotta be careful and find the good stuff versus the bad, but too many Christians are so immature they can't tell the difference between the good and the bad. But if you know the difference, you can receive it if you're just willing to try. By the way, if you need some help pointing out the good versus the bad, I'll be happy to do what I can for you. 
But too many of us, we disdain doctrine. We don't like it because we say we're being spiritual. I want to just learn the Bible. Well, you know, good doctrine comes out of where? The Bible. <laughs> That's where it comes from. That's the source of it. That's where you get the good teaching. And this author in Hebrews is saying, that's what you need. A signal that you're not growing in your faith is that you can't even teach others. Verse 12, it says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles. Chapter 6, verse 1 calls it the elementary teachings. Quite literally, in the original language, it's saying the ABCs or the one, two, threes of the faith. Can you teach the ABCs or the one, two, threes of the faith to someone else? He says it's of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. In verse 13, now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. There's an awful lot of evil out there. There are an awful lot of well-known preachers preaching and teaching improper and uh, immoral doctrines. But if you're careful and you train yourself by getting in the word of God, by having a trained teacher that you trust, any of our Sunday school teachers using our Sunday school material are people you can trust. And I promise you I'll do my very best to be faithful to the word of God as I preach. If you find someone you trust, listen and learn and grow from it so you can distinguish between good and bad. That is when you become, become advanced in your theology and your understanding. So that now you're able to teach. You can avoid sin in your lives and you can avoid improper doctrine in your life. Now there's two things, you know, there's theology that is um, in-depth, detailed theological understanding. And some of that sometimes I even struggle to figure out what they're saying or teaching. I can take you back into my office and I can pull out some theology books and I can loan them to you and you can read them. And they seem like they're written with the idea of the goal is just to make you smarter. But really, there's another kind of theology. It's called practical theology or applied theology is another term for it. It's taking the theology and putting it to work in your life. And one of the things this author says is it helps you understand the difference between sin and goodness, between right and wrong. Why should you spend time, time to spend time trying to learn the difference between right and wrong? Well, sin destroys our lives. Sin can destroy your life. Ask anybody who's involved in a sinful practice that has torn down their health their family, their work life, their reputation. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin weakens your faith. The more sinful I am, the less trusting of God I am. You know, I'm an evil person, so therefore God must not want to work through me. So it weakens my faith if I'm sinful. Sin has terrible effects. Look at the people around you that it affects. People say there's certain kinds of sin that, you know, it doesn't uh, affect other people. It just affects you. That's a, a lie. Every kind of sin that affects you affects the people who love you. 
You've heard it said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's so true. Seems like a simple truth, but for many of us, that feels like an advanced truth because we're not living it. What is sinful and what is not? We need to grow to understand those things. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God. Now, we're going to talk more about this verse next week, but that phrase, elementary teaching, is the one that I want to pull out. Elementary teaching is teaching that helps you repent of your, faith, of your sin. You know, my wife is an elementary school teacher. Okay, and no, I didn't ask her if I could put that up there because I figured she'd say no. But, you know, sometimes you just do things and then you hope that the best will happen. Uh, she's an elementary school teacher. So she can teach you how to read. Anybody need to know how to read? Barb can teach you how to do that. She can teach about math. Now, in first grade, she's teaching the simple stuff, counting and adding, things like that. Are you in double digits yet? Do you teach double digits in first grade? I couldn't remember. And then she's got some basic science. She's been excited because her kids are growing little seeds, you know, and they're all excited seeing the things blossom and they bring their seeds and show them to her on the camera of the virtual classroom. You know, when she first moved to Burke County, she moved three straight years. She went from third grade to fourth grade to fifth grade. She just kept on going. And of course, parents, after they had her for one year, they said, oh, I wish I could have you for next year. And she'd have to... <laughs> There's some who said, yeah. Uh, I, and, and, you know, at first she couldn't tell them, well, you can, you know. And then, that, then when it came out that she was actually moving to the next grade, she said, well, you know, just ask the principal, request me if you want. I'm happy to do that. But then she got to jump back now. And now she's in first grade. I always joked with her that, uh, you know, she got demoted because she wasn't smart enough to be in fifth grade. No, she, was, she could probably teach high school. But imagine that you had to teach your 16-year-old how to add 10 plus 10. What's 10 plus 10? 17, right? No, it's 20. Imagine if you had to teach that to a 16-year-old a, a kid in high school. Sadly, some get to that point. They don't learn. We've also seen the sad truth. There are a lot of adults who don't read well because they never really got it in school. Imagine, though, if she kept going and kept going on up and she had to teach, uh, you know, 10 plus 10 equals 20 instead of A, plus A squared plus B squared equals C squared. We need the more advanced things in life and in your spiritual life. You need the more advanced things. But we're not getting them as a church. The Barner Research Group is a group that does studies about spiritual life in America. And... Uh, there's a piece of good news they announced. A majority of people think our nation would be worse off without the Bible. You look at that graph and basically what that top one, the longest one says, 54% say that we would be worse off without the Bible. From 2014 to 2021, that went from 50 to 54%. Or from 49, rather, to 54%. That's good news. More people think the Bible is necessary. 
Now, here's another detail from them or statistic from them. From 2014 to 2021, they said that the number of Bible users had increased to 54%. That's the second one. In 2021, it's gone slightly down, but over the most recent years, it's gone up. But I was surprised when I read what a Bible user is defined as by the Barna Research Group. It's this, individuals who read, listen to, or pray with the Bible on their own, all sounds pretty good, right? At least three or four times a year? That's sad. If you're only engaging in the Word of God three or four times a year, you are not on solid food. You're still on the milk. Three or four times a week, that would be better. Maybe it ought to be at least once a day, or at least five or six times a, day, a week. But three or four times a year is just not enough. But how are we going to get to that next level? And then here's the third thing. Mature believers grow stronger instead of regressing. You see, what I think is happening is a lot of Christians, they were excited in the early days and they were growing. They learned the ABCs of the faith and they started to graduate and move on. And then they got used to it and they got bored with it. And now they've stayed away from it and they're regressing. Sin is becoming more common in their life. And as a result, they're going backwards. They're sliding back. It's like walking up a hill. You got a lot of effort. You're really trying at first, but you get a little ways and you get tired and sluggish and you begin to realize this is too hard. And you just turn around, sit down and slide back down the rest of the way. That's why we call it backsliding. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. Not solid food. Let me ask you this. What if I called you this morning? It's a Sunday morning. I got you on the phone. And I said, oh, I'm feeling really sick. <laughs> I feel bad. Could you jump in and help out and take over today? Some of you would say, no, not doing that. I'd say, well, I'm not asking you to preach a sermon. I just would like you to maybe get your favorite Bible verse up and share a little brief devotion about it and a testimony about what it means to you and maybe a lesson that someone in the congregation might need to hear from that. Could you do that? And then lead in prayer. Could you do that much? The Bible teaches us that we ought to be able to teach others. Now, maybe the problem isn't that you can't take the Bible and teach it in a simple way like that. Maybe the problem is you're afraid to get up in front of other people and do that, and I get that. But maybe if you're advanced in your faith, you'd trust the Lord, and the Lord would say to you, don't worry, I will enable you. I'll give you the strength and the words to say and the courage to do it. And in that prayer, you say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And so you call me back and say, yes, I'll do it. That's not going to happen very often. You're off the hook. But here's what should happen every week of your life. You ought to have a verse of scripture that you talk about 
with your family, or maybe a, an idea, a biblical idea after watching something on television and you see, wait, that's not good, and so you share with your family. Here's what's wrong with that. Here's what the Bible says about that. I think that might be one of the most important things. After all, the Shema, the, the great passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, teach them when you're in the morning and in the evening and when you're walking around and no matter what, wherever you are, at the dinner table, sitting on the couch, teach them the word of God. Teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Understand this. If you take out a passage of scripture... You can understand a few things by asking a few questions. Number one, what's the main idea this passage is trying to get across? What is it teaching me? The big idea is what some people call it. What does it teach us about God, about his character, about the things that he does? What does it teach us about people and our sinfulness and our need for God, about how we treat one another, how we could treat one another better? And what does it teach me to do with this passage? Those four questions, those four things, if you ask yourself that of every verse, of every passage you read, you could teach other people. Just go over those four things with them, and you can teach them. You may not be asked to teach and preach the whole church on Sunday morning during the worship time, but maybe for your Sunday school, or maybe a devotion before a fellowship meal. Or maybe just your family at home. What do you plan to have for lunch today? Anybody already have an idea? Maybe you're going to go get something. What if I said, I'm going to go home and get a box of Captain Crunch out, pour it in a cereal bowl, and put some milk on top of that. That's going to be my lunch. I'm excited about my Captain Crunch. Now, if I was really advanced, really growing in my dietary Practices, I'd go, I'd go to Crunch Berries. I'd graduate. They start putting little berry flavored things in there. Man, that's wonderful. And then if you're really good, you get one of the ones that have only the berries. That's good stuff. That's not very good for you, though, is it? What if instead of that, you came up to me and said, you know, Kevin, I've heard you're trying to lose some weight. Maybe the Crunch Berries aren't the piece de resistance of culinary lunch after church. Maybe what you need to do is go somewhere where you could order a piece of grilled tilapia and some vegetables. And maybe that'd be a little bit healthier for you. I like that idea too. Let's go for it. You see, that's growing in your dietary strength. But folks, we need the steak of the gospel. We need the fish of the faith. We need to grow in our understanding. We need to learn to get past the milk and cookies phase of our faith. And if it's time for you and you say, I see myself in that, I've not been growing very strong and I need to grow. I need to get in the word of God on my own together with other believers, with a one-on-one -on -one discipleship partner so someone can disciple and teach me and then later on maybe I can find someone and help them move to the next level in their faith. And if you are willing to do that, then you can graduate and you can go and anything on the buffet of faith will be able to be put on your plate ready for you to consume and enjoy. Are you willing to take that next step? Here's what it's going to require. Number one, a repentance if you've been a Christian for a long time. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've gotten lazy in my faith. 
will you forgive me? And number two, it takes you getting in the word. Did every one of you go to a Sunday school class today? If you didn't, maybe it'd be a good time to get in one. Start learning from what other people can say. You say, that Sunday school class, it's boring. I know more than that. Well, great. That means you're volunteering to teach, right? Because <laughs> if you've grown past all of our Sunday school teachers, I doubt you have. But if you have, that's time to grow up and grow on and teach others. We're getting ready to have the nominating committee start staffing our church with volunteers for the next year. Volunteer. Say, I'll teach. I'll teach the youth on Wednesday night or the children or something like that to get started. I'll teach once a month. I'll be an assistant teacher. But there's more than just Sunday school. There's now finding someone you can help grow stronger. It might be in your own home, your wife or husband or your children, your grandchildren, especially if your children won't go to church. Start teaching your grandchildren. Get them in. Or maybe a coworker or a neighbor or a friend or even this. This will be crazy. Find a lost person and ask them, will you read the Bible with me? You know the statistics say that a lot of them will say yes because a lot of them are curious about what the Bible says even though they're not believers. Are you willing? You willing to take that commitment to that next level? Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.